A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tools Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Tennis Podcast. Going to do introductions today, just in case anyone's new here. I'm David Law, and first things first, I hope you're all safe, you're all well, wherever you are. We've obviously had a couple of seriously rocky weeks, uh, but we're not going anywhere. As you know, we are going to be doing this come what may over the next uh, weeks, months, whatever it takes, and we hope to bring a little bit of light relief for you, keep you up to date with whatever is going on in the tennis world, give you some insight into how players and people around are, are dealing with this absolutely unprecedented situation that the world finds itself in um and yeah keep you up to date with us and our impressions of what's going on in the tennis world have some special guests on we've got loads and loads of ideas for the next uh, few months hope you're going to enjoy all of them and thank you for all the many lovely messages we've received on email and, and on social media over the last couple of weeks really really is appreciated Catherine Whittaker's here hello Catherine hello David and Matt Roberts is here. Hello, Matt. Hello, David. Mary Carrillo's here. <laughs> Hi, kids. How are you? Can't believe it. <laughs> How you doing? I'm very well. Uh, the real reason I called in to this fine show is because I want to know if the Wimbledon Museum has yet asked for Catherine Whitaker's luggage. Because I, I just think <laughs> it, it's going to be so representative of the 2020 tennis season. There can even be, I'm thinking, Catherine, a nice... We can tweak the Rudyard Kipling quote, you know, if you can pack and not unpack <laughs> and treat those two imposters just the same. It, it's tennis's version of Tracy Emin's unmade bed, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Have you unpacked? No. Please tell me. No. Oh, this is strong. I've got no need for those clothes. There is <laughs> zero incentive. <laughs> All the underwear in there is defunct. A very... <laughs> There was a very scientific uh, study, though, which showed that more people want to watch Catherine unpack her suitcase than Isna Mahu. Uh, I, I have, I, I, you know, I know it's a, an historic match. It was the same point over and over again for 11 hours and five minutes. I, nobody could break. I, I really, I have never understood. I mean, the, the, the quality of that match did not come close to outlasting the length of that match. <laughs> well, uh, by any stretch. I have a theory that no one's seen the first four sets. Yeah, no, that, could, <laughs> that, that could also be true. I mean, who was watching that? <laughs> Including those that were there, because they were... <laughs> yeah. Historic, but not memorable. 
uh, no. in quite the way it wanted to be, perhaps. Um, Mary, what is life like where you are at the moment? Because obviously it's uh, this is this is extraordinary every couple of days we come on and we have a podcast and something else just incredible seems to be happening half the world is shutting down nobody's going anywhere certainly in the uk we're trying to get used to not going anywhere although people seem to be having a bit of a problem with that uh what's it like there uh, i live in florida i live about three blocks off of the gulf shore uh, off of uh, the gulf of mexico and there are still all kinds of ridiculous people who think it's a great idea to be together at the beach and have barbecues. So the beach has now closed down where I live. It's still open in some other places, but now people are getting arrested for trying to go swimming in Florida, which I'm very happy about. I mean, it's not that complicated. Stay home. Don't go out. I mean, so it's, it's beautiful here and it doesn't feel like a lockdown where I am. And there's food is plentiful still. My family is all well. I've got a, an eight-week-old granddaughter who lives about 20 minutes away. So for me, frankly, she has been the highlight of 2020 for me and continues to be. And I feel much luckier than most. But for everybody else, it's it's rough. And we've got an idiotic president who's just driving everybody crazy, uh, most people crazy, including me. It's been rough. Mm. Um- it's been rough. We've got look. We've got loads of listener questions for you, which we'll, we'll get onto in a moment. But as you say, the highlight of your year has been the birth of your granddaughter, which meant that you weren't in Australia, and that was Correct. the one. Aside from obviously that they they had terrible issues themselves in Australia. Um, we we were producing daily shows we had a a good experience doing that obviously it was just a very disturbing period of time in its own right um but not having you there uh, and being able to record a show with you it was left us feeling a little bit um rudderless so Uh, well i've I've got a theory that it's it's the absence of mary carillo from from tennis (laughs) that has sent the whole world off its axis i second that that's a responsibility. That's, so this is on me, huh? All right. I, I, I accept the re- that responsibility, and I'll, I'll try to live on with more grace notes than I've shown so, so far this season. What did you? How much did you see of it? What were your memories from it that really stick out from the Australian Open? Um, I. It's on. It was on a crazy hours here, as it was obviously in England as well. I didn't catch all of it, uh, frankly. Uh, my, my, as I said, Rhea, my granddaughter, was being born, and I was a bit distracted by, by that and by her. Uh, but I thought, uh, look, I, I was. Sonia Cannon was. I've known that kid for a long time. She's a nice kid, and I was very happy for her. Uh, and Djokovic. Uh, you three know, I think he's going to go down as the greatest of all time. And I also think he's the greatest hardcore player of all time. Um, I was, I thought it was a pretty good tournament. I honestly, I did not, I was not paying that much attention to it. Um, yeah, I think it was, uh, I mean, you guys, you, the, the bushfires were just catastrophic and cataclysmic and, uh, it was hard this whole season, as I said, Thank God baby Rhea has shown up because it's not been an easy 2020 so far. Mm. Yeah, we, we've, yeah. Talked, we've talked a lot about that, that feeling of knowing that sport, relatively speaking, is, is an irrelevance, but it's a glorious irrelevance and actually one that ends up 
because of its importance to us and its importance in distracting us all and and yes. providing something to hold on to and and frame our days with and our weeks with becomes actually very important in in its own right and it does leave a gap it leaves a gap and I, i'm sure you three have probably read uh richard evans a long time british writer and television guy an old friend of mine he wrote today that he hopes sports come back even without fans in the stands because we all need it and are nourished by that. I'm still not sure how I feel about that, to tell you the truth. I, I think it matters if there are people watching. I'm, and the only sport I could see that could be televisable without looking really odd and forlorn would be golf, because it's man against the course, and you can get tight on the grass and all that stuff. Um, it's, it's a whole new world. It really is. And then my question to you three is this. How do you... If it becomes a thing where you have to worry about this pandemic situation over and over again, how do you stage sporting events that that keep everybody safe and that makes sense? It's tricky, isn't it? Yeah, I mean uh, the the point at which sport decides it can start up again. What yeah. is that point? I mean, yeah. they're all planning. They're all sort of buying themselves another another six weeks, another month, another. Some say, "Oh, you know, we're probably looking at six months." Other people think we're not going to see sport again the rest of the year. Um, it's it's totally unknown. But if you have something like this that isn't just going to magically disappear, it's it's difficult to understand the reentry into sport. Yeah. It, it sure is. I don't know the answer. Yeah, and the, and the fact that the the exit has not been a it's been the very opposite of a unilateral decision. It's been a, a lot <laughs> you mean of the ex- French Open deciding <laughs> when it's going to play. A lot of extremely <laughs> fragmented decisions. Um, is the re-entry going to be the same? And if so, who's going to be the one to yeah. say we think it's okay to hold? hold sport exactly. again i think everybody's going to be like boris johnson in his press press briefing briefings looking left and right and going do you do you want to do you want to <laughs> take this question do you want to jump in <laughs> um yeah because that's going to be a, a heck of a call do you, do you remember when maria sharapova retired <laughs> I mean, that feels like another century, doesn't it? Well, we're still yeah. we're still in indian wells week as we record on sunday night here Correct. i mean how is that possible yeah the women's final would be going on no the men's final would be going on right now wouldn't it we haven't even missed one full tournament yet Mm. i started counting out sort of counting up how many more we were going to miss and i just gave up it was just too depressing catherine i'm packed (laughs) (laughs) what i've done david is i've packed for the next tennis event whenever that might be very good Very good. I am ready for it. Maria Sharapova retiring, Mary, mm. was that, I, that wasn't a surprise, was it? No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. I, it's very interesting to me. There have been some players, and it'll be interesting to see when Roger Federer and Serena and Rafa decide, all right, I'm done. I'm getting off the dance floor. It's a good time to do it. Pete Sampras did it after he won his 14th major at the Open El Ragasi. Some people have done it. Uh, really well but I'm I was always um I was always impressed that like with Andre Agassi and obviously and Andy Roddick as well they were hurt you know Andre could barely move and Roddick had 
you know, he lost his arm, but when people decide, and Maria was the same way with all of her shoulder injuries and forearm and everything else, I think with age comes wisdom, and sometimes wisdom is bad for great athletes, great champions, because they know what it takes to be great, and they also know that they may not anymore have what it takes, you know? So I that turn is always really interesting. I think Maria... I think she lasted a lot longer than the people around her wanted her to, frankly. Um, and Max Eisenbud, her longtime agent, who picked her out of a crowd when she was 11 years old at Nick Politeri's. Remember this name, Mary, dear? As Nick explained to me. Maria Shaparova. She was like nine years old. I've <laughs> called her that, that on the air entirely too many times. But even Max thought, why are you doing this? You know, you can't. She had to change her serve so many times to try to find something that wouldn't hurt her. And all. So, yeah, the Maria thing was, uh, looking back, I always thought the first line in her obit would be that she she was out, she got suspended from the tour for doping. I, I just don't know that that's true anymore. Maybe, and I'm, I have a generous outlook on her anyway. I didn't really like, I thought her game was inelegant, but she did a lot of things well and a lot of things right. And... I think she'll be remembered for those things more than the fact that she got caught taking meldonium a couple of weeks after it was banned. Yeah, I, I liked her, actually. I, I know I've told you three the story about uh, for the Sochi Olympics, uh, I was asked to do a feature on Maria because that was her hometown. Or she wasn't born there, but she lived there for a long while. And NBC Sports had asked for two half days for, of Maria. Uh, we wanted to see the courts where she learned how to play tennis and the circus where she used to go when she was a kid. And we went to a restaurant uh, and the chef there taught us Maria's favorite dish. I was awful at it. It was involving. Uh, anyway, we asked for two half days. And on both those days, we finished early because she was so good and so on it as soon as we started rolling. And... I, I just couldn't believe how good she was. Uh, she understood immediately. She talked to all the sociites around her. And, and anyway, she came to the International Broadcast Center a couple of days later when we were still editing the piece. And she came into the edit suite and we showed her that we had found some old video of the circus that she used to go to when she was a kid. And she stayed and watched for that for a while. And we showed her how much of the piece we'd already finished editing and she thanked us, you know, for doing such a, a nice job with her hometown story. There, is, there are Maria Sharapova stories like that that I'm going to hang on to because uh, I think there was a lot to her, actually. Mm. Isn't, isn't it interesting it. that I, I heard an interview that John Worth and I did on his podcast with, with her agent, Max Eisenberg, the with other Max, day? Yeah. yeah. And I came out of it and I thought, why has this guy never done an interview like that before and actually revealed himself to be kind of, interesting to listen to and and i now feel like i un, i understand him and i understand her more than i did mm -hmm. about 40 minutes ago and here mm -hmm. i am listening to you talk about maria sharapova that i don't know despite having covered her for 16 years since she won <laughs> wimbledon right she doesn't do these kind of interviews she doesn't the side of her that you've described, I don't think many people out no, here I, know. I think you're right. And by the way, Max is very funny. Maria always called him Maximilian. But Max is, he's, he's very funny. He's put up with all kinds of nonsense. He runs IMG Tennis now. So you can imagine what he, 
all the wackadoodle stuff he's got to deal with uh, all the time. But I'll, I'll tell you one more Maria story that I think underscores how much personality she had for Billie Jean King's 75th birthday uh, last year. We A couple of us spoke. Of, there, there were all these different people. John McEnroe spoke. I gave a quick little speech. There was a comedian who came on right before Maria, and she started making Putin jokes, you know, Russia jokes, whatever. So Maria shows up on the stage next and says, I can't believe you invited a Russian to this thing. But then she proceeds to tell a bunch of stories, my favorite of which is when Maria was about 11 years old. She was at this big tennis it was a big clinic for all, all kinds of juniors. And Billie Jean walked out on the court and watched her play. And you know Billie. She's this unbelievable cheerleader anyway. And was telling Maria, oh, well, it, it hit. And I think you should change your forehand a little bit. You should, you know, cover the ball more, whatever. And you're very skinny. And, you know, maybe you should eat more hamburgers. And then she left the court. And a whole bunch of the kids descended upon Maria Sharapova. And said, what did she say? What? And Maria had no idea who she was and said, who was that? And they started to explain the greatness of Billie Jean King and everything she's done. And they said, so what did she tell you? And Maria said, she told me to eat more hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> that was the takeaway. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry that, uh, that Maria Sharapova has left the game. And as I said, but again, she knew that her best was far behind her. And she was, she was, uh, I'm glad for her. She's got, and she was never going to hang around the sport in the ways that so many of the players do. She never needed tenor, tennis as an anchor. For many years, it's been a springboard to all other things she's wanted to do. So good luck to her. Mm. Imagine if she hadn't made that announcement when when she did, because, yes. you know, announcements like that can't really be made now, can they? I mean, I, I don't know if you're aware, Mary, but there are persistent rumours that Prince Philip has died in this country, <laughs> and uh, that, yeah, I mean there are. You I mean know, there are always persistent. There rumors are always that persistent rumours like that. But you know, would they tell us if he had? Um, you know, I is anyone going to be breaking news or announcing things? All of that goes on hold now, right? She must be thinking, "Thank goodness, I I got that off my chest and off my shoulders when I when I did." I have to also uh, just quickly explain that a lot of players, even though they know they're not going to play again, I mean, when was the last time we saw Yelena Yankovic play a match, whatever, but a lot of players don't announce their retirement because they still get WTA benefits or, you know, they still get insurance and stuff like that. So there are sometimes reasons why we don't hear till long after it's obvious. And spare a thought for Carla Suarez Navarro, who announced that this would be her farewell year on tour. <laughs> Oh, the Bryan man. brothers as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, look, these are minor points by comparison, but um, but yeah, it's uh, for them who that might be it. I guess it's you just yes. we just don't would have to hope that uh, things um, clear up quickly enough that at least um, they can get back out and play a bit more tennis and say their goodbyes on a stage that they would want to say goodbye on. Were, were you were you surprised, Mary, when uh, Roland Garros just said? Right, we're off. We're going to go and <laughs> we're going to go and uh, set up sticks in uh, September, everybody. And uh, you better was, deal with it. Oh my! I I was very surprised. I I didn't see that one coming. And the first thing I thought was, and these people wonder why the French are considered arrogant. I mean, why do you think they like that? Is a reputation that was just underscored by that call. Like I, I'm I. Uh, 
I, I was trying to think to myself, all right, wait, was that a good call? Are they, is it just, uh, you know, the, 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 the whole tour is so everyone's in their own silos and everyone's going to make their land grabs and turf wars and all that. But that seemed ridiculous to me. Uh, I really, I, now there's part of me that hopes the French open doesn't get played at least not in September, right after the U S open. Cause that, you know, that, I mean, the players, very few of the players seem to have known. None, nobody else knew. Uh, I think you, you, you three made the point in a podcast a couple of days ago that at least it's brought some kind of solidarity <laughs> to the rest of them. <laughs> but at what price? <laughs> United against a common enemy in, uh, in the French. Yeah. Uh, you would think that a, a global pandemic might get these people all together. WT, ITF, ATP. You know, all the grants, you'd think maybe they're all going to sit around uh, on a, at a big buffet table and say, all right, let's let's reset here. Let's try to figure out a way to to have some decency and, and thought. But that probably won't happen either. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rome yesterday um, have said that they might consider having the event as a pre-French Open September warm-up, but P.S. it might be on a different surface. Yeah, and and in, maybe in a different country, in a different place. <laughs> Those are my people. <laughs> that is <Now> Rome. <laughs> that Matt is thinking outside the lines. He's, this, hooray for Italy, Forza Italia! Like that's really insane. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. I mean, yeah. Rome announcing they would con- consider hosting their event neither in Rome nor on clay. <laughs> Nor in May. I mean, that's just announcing announcing that there might be tennis at some point in the future, isn't it? Before we die. (laughs) It's just... Fingers crossed. Fingers Uh, crossed. Oh, man. Let's have some questions. We've got to be able to do better than that. All right, ask your questions. We've got some listener questions. They've been flooding into us here. I mean... We're taking I'm, 22 I'm slightly minutes concerned up. they're all from my family under pseudonyms, Mary. <laughs> yeah, but okay. I can't guarantee that they're not. I don't think okay. Matt told you that those ones are banned. So we've. Uh, they, if the first a... one is from Rosie, I'll be on to your family. <laughs> it's nearly as good, Mary. Actually, um, uh, go ahead. I should say we're 22 minutes into the podcast. We haven't even asked a question yet. Um, so this might have to be a two-parter, folks. All right, go <laughs> all, ahead. All the more reason. Right. Anyway, th- this first question is. From from Keturah, who happens to be the owner of the late Charlie the Ferret, who is our much-beloved ah, first-ever yes. mascot here on the Tennis yes. Podcast. Uh, and Katura would like to ask, which players do you think are going to benefit stroke suffer from the enforced time off? I mean, this is, this is time off. I guess the only the closest thing you would get is a long-term injury uh, to, to, to what's going on right now. But it's happening to everybody. Uh, I would Serena springs to mind as someone who would really be hurt by this. Uh, she doesn't play much anymore. She doesn't win as much as she used to anymore. Um, she needs matches. Her her coach Patrick Moradoglu has basically said she's got to get in better shape. So the fact that and Serena is very serious about being a mother to her daughter. So I have a feeling, you know, if she turns thirty nine. This, you know, this September, I, I think more than anyone, someone like Serena would be hurt. She needs matches. And, you know, it obviously she wants to break Margaret Court's major record. So that one comes to my mind more than anybody. 
Uh, Roger Federer obviously needed time off, but I don't think he wanted this kind of time off. I think Roger Federer wanted to win two things this year, Wimbledon, which he came so close to winning last year, and the Olympics. Um, and I don't know that he'll get a shot at doing either one of those. So in terms of benefiting, uh, I think uh, young players who have who have weaknesses in their games, who, uh, you know, uh, someone like Andreescu, who's been injured so much, and I hope she gets herself fit. Uh, so maybe this will help her. So when she comes back, she won't have arm problems or knee problems. But uh, on the women's side, and it's great that so many women can win majors, but uh, a lot of them are really hard hitting, which means high risk, which means if they get a little tight, their margins go way down. If this could be a chance in these months, if they get to practice, uh, if they could shore up their games, get fitter, get quicker, uh, I'd say players like that. So those would be those would be the ones I'd think of right off the top of my pointy head. I think Serena gets hurt the most. What do you think? So just on your last point there, Mary, kind of the 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 big hitting ball striker female players, the sort of Pliskova type players. Yeah, exactly. The ones who almost win. <laughs> the ones who, but but again, if you want to hit the ball that hard and that cleanly, and that's great. Um, if you get a little tight, you know, just a little tight, it becomes risky. And so, and and if you don't move as well as you need to, it's not always about fitness; it's about movement. Um, so it's players like that, like Madison Keys, where all of a sudden you can see that they know. They're, they're, they're getting tight. They'll start double faulting, whatever. I think that, I think that I would love to see, and I'm not just talking about the women players, obviously, but a lot, I think the reason we see women like win a major, like Sloan, whatever, and then not win more like, you know, uh, so there are reasons for that. There's also, I think the, the, the very real possibility that this will, widen the gap between rich and poor successful not successful i mean if you've got a home gym and a yes. and a a swimming pool in your basement and a tennis pool in your back a tennis pool a tennis court in your backyard that is an immense advantage at the moment surely to compared the, to those yeah. that don't the rich get richer the great get greater <laughs> no, that's true think- too as well, I would think that there would be That's quite a, a, a mental element to this because you, you're asking people to deal with cabin fever for goodness knows how long, and yes. some people are going to be better equipped to to ride this sort of thing out in a serene way. I mean, and I mean, I imagine, I mean, nobody's experienced this, so you can't say, "Oh, so and so's got experience of that specific thing." And we did speak to Bethany Matic Sands, who talked about her long term injuries and that kind of thing. But just an ability to kind of disengage for a while would yes. would probably be helpful. I was thinking about this question in terms of Nick Kyrgios, who so often talks about wanting to spend more time at home and be around his family. And obviously, he's not; these are not the circumstances he would want that, but he has got that family time mm. now. I wonder whether it might make him think about the the place in his life that tennis has when when he hasn't got tennis. Does he does he get a little 
bored? Does he want to play? I think that could be it could be an interesting moment for him. The the tennis podcast finds room for curry optimism <laughs> in the face of the coronavirus. Well done, Matt. I would, Thank you. I would love to think that's true, Matt. My and and the question I would ask following that up is: Is he using this time to get fit mm. and spend time with family, or is he? doing something else with his time yeah. which is always which is always very is, is he doing is he doing cross stitch and jigsaws like i am mary is that your question because as, as far as i can tell there is nothing else to do with your time yeah i so said that's but yeah you're right it's it'll be interesting to see who who comes out you know who stands up and for how long when this whole thing is hopefully over at some point it does. I can tell you what nick curious i tell you what he was doing today he was walking his dogs because i saw it on instagram and uh it, it's like a superpower having a dog at yes. the moment mary's hoarding them over there <laughs> in florida <laughs> I'm, they're in the other locked over in the other side of the house so they don't interrupt this podcast but oh. they cannot this is this has been great for them they have been <laughs> adored they have been petted coddled fed walked yeah my dogs are happy uh but that's the thing about something like this it makes you pay attention to the small things and and i'm I'm not saying it's an improve. It's improving my character, but I think I've become uh, a better dog owner through all this. <laughs> but but anyway, better. but uh, just finally on that one on that question, um, I think this gives a lot of players the chance to add firewalls to their game. You know, to add to add fitness, to add safer shots, to add all, all those things that you might not get. If you all you do, like remember Rafa Nadal at the end of last year, the poor Mook had played so much tennis, uh, including Davis, like important stuff too. And he'd already won two majors. And you're thinking, God, then now he's got to play ATP Cup. Uh, you're thinking this this guy just needs to rest. And 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 now this happens. And and Rafa is a guy we've seen his temperament. We've seen how well he comes back from long absences. So I. I almost think he he's better suited for this than uh, than Roger. He he's grown a beard, which which I feel weird about. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's kind of it's swarthy stubble at the moment, but it's oh I, yes, yeah. I saw that announcement he made for his academy. Yeah, it was. Dis- I found it disconcerting. I, I mean, it's fine. I just found it. Dis- <laughs> it, it I'm looking for stability at the moment, Mary, and more <laughs> more change is not. It was just. A level of change that I I don't need. That's got a well, Tom Hanks castaway feel to it. Yeah, exactly. And and we all we we remember remember how delighted we were last year. I, Rafa pulled out of a tournament, or he lost early or something. And as he explained in his press conference, I am not my hundred percent. And so the open question to us on the WhatsApp was like, when was the last time we were on my one hundred percent? I I haven't been my hundred percent since nineteen seventy four. Oh, what were you yeah. doing in 1974? <laughs> it was a great year. <laughs> I had two knees. It was awesome. <laughs> Those are the days. What yeah. um, it, you mentioned the, the Olympics earlier, Mary, and I mm. I grasp upon any opportunity to talk about the Olympics, even when it seems likely that the Olympics won't be happening. Um, what do you think will happen, and what do you think it will mean for? Well, I mean, Federer is obviously the one that jumps most to mind because I completely agree with you. I think, you know, the the 2020 season for Federer was 
was a a two month period really yes. from, from the start yes. and and that two month period is is gone now um and yes the olympics will be rescheduled but they'll be rescheduled for a time when he's at least 12 months older that's that's how i feel um we i was on a and we're doing this on sunday night and the the uh, ioc i guess made an announcement today that they're giving themselves four more weeks before they decide to, they say it's, it's not, won't be canceled. It will be, it could be postponed. They're allowing for the possibility of that. No, yeah, no kidding. The U S <laughs> swimming association, these, they're not allowed in pools, any of these swimmers and there are trials and like, they're like, what the hell guys, you know, make an announcement. Um, I also think Novak Djokovic, the guys who really, really want to win for their flags. I think Novak very much wanted to, to win the Olympics this year as well. Um, and I know Venus just wanted to get there in doubles, which might not have happened anyway, but uh, I'd be surprised if the Olympics are, I I was on a conference call. There were 170 of us announcers and producers and on an NBC sports conference call because NBC pays more money than anyone to, for the rights to the Olympics. And this was just earlier, less than a week ago. And the, what we were told was, you know, all all, you know, systems are go. This thing is still happening. We're preparing for it as though it's happening. And I was, I was shocked. I mean, how can this possibly, how can they possibly be thinking in those ways? Um, yeah, I think uh, what, what are the head of, of NBC Sports, Molly Solomon, her whole attitude was, well, golf will be coming back in the fall and the French Open is supposed to happen right after the U.S. Open. And, you know, everyone, oh, it's going to be a great last quarter of 2020 for sports. I'm in a wait and see mode. (laughs) Let's hope so. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. 
Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. We've got uh, Say Vamos on Twitter. So I will say Vamos. Vamos! Uh, uh, Say Vamos says, is it possible... I wonder who this person is a fan of. Uh, say vamos. It sounds like he's think. his one. He's his hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, says, is it possible for a yes. professional player to learn a champion's mentality and mindset? If so, who best embodies having learned, stroke, developed this skill as opposed to naturally possessing it? Ivan uh, Lendl comes to mind immediately. Uh, I think Ivan Lendl is one of those athletes. He was such a hard worker. It drove John McEnroe nuts that the guy was willing to to work so hard uh, for so long. And Yvonne did everything he could to make himself a champion. He lost four major finals in a row before he beat McEnroe in the famous Roland Garros uh, title match. And then he just kept on going. The only thing he couldn't win was Wimbledon, even though he hired Tony Roach, a lefty like his nemesis, (laughs) nemesis, McEnroe and Connors. To try to, and he tried to learn a chip backhand and he tried to volley more. I mean, he did everything in his power to get that, to build himself into a champion. And so, so yes, is it, some of it is organic, obviously. Some of it can't be taught. I watch some of these players and I, I've talked to you guys about this before. Like, they're so good, obviously. They're so physically gifted. Um, they do things with such ease. You just wish they had fangs, you know. Can you grow fangs? We've had this conversation. I'm not sure you can. I would love to see some people do it. Um, I wanted to be great, but my game let me down in just about every category. I, but I knew, at least I knew why I wasn't. Um, I, <laughs> How do you think we feel, so, Mary? <laughs> <laughs> can, but can you learn it? I think you can, I think with enough drive and ambition. You can teach yourself to be a, a champion. Yes, I think you can develop that mentality. Where is the line, Mary, between self-belief and delusion? I I always think Are you of those. For yourself <laughs> I always think of those people, you know, on talent shows that clearly have zero talent, and you know, get rejected, and you know, they walk up to camera and they go, "You'll see me again." They don't know. Right. I'll show them, and. That's kind of the attitude that the modern world tells us all to have, right? If you if you yes. believe in yourself enough, if you work yeah. hard enough, you will get there. That is the mantra of every, you know, inspirational quote that people have hanging on their walls and all of that stuff. <laughs> right. but, but the fact is, sometimes you're watching the TV and you're thinking, no, it does not yeah. matter how hard you work, buddy. <laughs> you are never going to make an album, I hope. <laughs> right or people who want to be uh fashion models or and you're thinking honey it's I, i'm not feeling it um but as much as i agree with how true that is the hardest thing to do is something you've never done before so if you can break through and do it again i, I go back to yvonne lendl simona Halep. i think i was happier than she was when she won her first major because then we didn't have to keep having that conversation about She's so good. She's so nice. She wants it so much. She's playing for Romania. You know, like, uh, I think there is, again, there's a, 
and I got I go back to a kid I grew up with, John McEnroe. The guy knew how good he was at an early age. He just knew it. He he just walked it. He had a, a swagger to his strokes and to his on court demeanor. He owned it. He just he owned it just from from right from the start. He knew how good he was. I always knew how good I wasn't. <laughs> so, so I don't think I lived with a lot of self delusion. It probably would have helped if I thought Or so you uh, thought, Mary. <laughs> you know, maybe you, maybe you were wrong. No, I think I was exactly. Uh, there, there are some things you know you can you can pull off, and then some things it's just it's not going to happen. But for every John McEnroe, are there 20, 20 kids that believed just as much but didn't have the goods? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I just remember. Uh, when I was growing up, again, it was a, a beautiful time to be growing up playing tennis in New York because the hero of, of my hero and and John McEnroe was Vitas Garolitis. And during the boycott year of 1973, Vitas got into Wimbledon. You know, it was a depleted field. Most of the guys were, you know, were sitting sitting on their couches. And Vitas, we knew some guy who got into Wimbledon. You know, and Vitas ended up, he got to the semis there in 77. He won the doubles with Sandy Mayer. He had a great Wimbledon career, but I remember that week that that was happening. And I'm sure John McEnroe was thinking, I can win Wimbledon one day. And I was just thinking, I just want to get to Wimbledon one day. I, that, I just wanted to walk on those lawns. Like, that was, my, I, as I said, I, I think you have to, at a certain point, you have to do the old north and south, look up and down and say, all right, this is what I can do. That was my dream. My A dream like mine got me into the draw a couple of times, but I, I knew who I wasn't. Why was he your hero? Who, Vetus? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if, uh, geez, Vetus was, Vetus Gerolitis, um, we all loved him. He had, a, he had a huge, generous heart. He had a really cool looking game. Didn't have a big serve. His father taught him how to play. Uh, Vitas Garolita Sr. was a table tennis champion of Lithuania growing up, and he had a and he had a good tennis game in Lithuania as well. He never gave Vitas a big serve, but Vitas had a great serve volley because he was and he got so tight to the net because his serve wasn't that big, sort of Ed Bergian. It got him tight to the net for his first volley, and he got a lot of first serves in. So he was dashing. He had he had a very cool look to him, and this was in the seventies where. Anti-heroes were very in. It was very cool to be like Vetus or like Nastasi or like Connors. Um, and he was, you know, he was, I had never seen anybody that cool. Uh, I'm not sure I've met that many people as cool since the late great Vetus girl. And he was very nice to me because his sister Ruta was my best friend growing up. So I got to sort of water ski behind him, behind John, behind all of those People, I, so I, I had this very cool look. I think at at somebody like Vetus. Yeah, and I took advantage. Quite right. Um, yeah. Incidentally, you mentioned that word that I've haven't heard mentioned since. Fangs. What's that? Fangs. Growing yeah. fangs. What and, do you uh, think, guys? Well, Can I, you grow fangs? I, I I mean, first of all, I love that I did expression. It in the womb. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that that expression just sums it up in a in a word, and and it reminded me that we had an email in January uh, when we were in Australia. Jennifer Gardner wrote to to us and said, 
huge fan of the show and I've been trying to find the episode where Mary Carrillo talked about growing your tennis fangs and mm. uh, was asking our advice on where that in where that episode was because she was going to be coaching a USTA team and wanted ah. to try to get that into her players yes. um but can you can you grow fangs can you I don't know whether you can I don't know, I know. it's a good question I don't I don't I think the question is Better than the answer. That's what we were talking about earlier, wasn't it? That there are players that almost win. Mm. <laughs> and they're the ones that are like tantalizing. Like, come on! You know, you just get every first serve in in this tie break. You know what has to happen. You know, you just... And, and again, and this is... I'm going sideways on this, but it's one of the problems I have with on-court coaching when... Like to me, like when there, when Darren comes out or some great coach comes out and then they leave and then some, well, that was a great coaching timeout. I'm thinking, why didn't he tell her that? But what's with the open book test here? Why didn't, if he was so great, why didn't he tell her that before she went on the court? Or why didn't the player listen? Like that was a great coaching timeout? Like that stuff's supposed to, it's supposed to happen. You know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to get that. Anyway, I'm, but I digress as often happens, but you know what I mean? Like you can, you can tell somebody what to do. Then it's on them, you know, don't do it and, and prove it. You know, don't almost win this match. Win the match. Well, yeah, because that was the other thing Larry Stefanke was saying. He said he would never want to coach a player who would ask him, what do I need to do? Yeah. You know, he yeah, exactly. He he wasn't looking for that as a question. He he wanted to he wanted them to have the the ideas and have it themselves, and then he would exactly. tinker the, with the, it. The the best exactly. examples, or certainly the most heartening examples of uncourt coaching for me, are always where the first thing that comes out of the coach's mouth once they arrive on court and squat awkwardly um, <laughs> is. So, what do you think? How do you feel? Right. It, it, right, that's what Darren does a lot. Absolutely. That is kind of nice. Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, yeah I, Hall don't know. I wish they didn't have to ask. You know, that's all. That's my point. Uncourt coaching for me against Solihull Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been a contender if I'd had that. Anyway. Your rivalry but, is currently stalled at a draw. Yeah. Yeah, I mean one said all. Yeah, I mean let's forget about Federer and Serena. Who who does this enforce break favor in uh, David Solihull Simon? Well, he's 10 years older than me. So, you know. Oh. Uh, it sounds like it's a waiting game and it sounds like you're just one coaching timeout away from that's right. dominance. Sadly they don't have it on the men's tour, so I can't benefit. <laughs> um right, we've got Elena Garova here on Twitter, who says, I'd like to know Mary's thoughts on all the young players she's seen over the years in relation to burnout. And she's talking about people like Andrea Yeager, Tracy Austin, Jennifer Capriati, um, and wants to know if you, how you see Coco Goff's career unfolding in light of some of those examples that you may have seen in the past. Well, uh, I, I, I would quickly say it's a it's a good question. I would quickly say Tracy didn't burn out. Tracy Austin, I mean, injuries forced her out. I mean, she won the U.S. Open at 16 and 18. She was a great clay court player. Tracy would love to have had a long career. So she didn't burn out. She had to walk away. And by the way, I saw Denise Capriotti, Jennifer's mom, at the funeral for Jeannie Everett, Chrissy's younger sister, who was my age. We were in juniors together. Um, and I asked 
how Jennifer was doing because her brother, who is a very nice guy, Stephen, he's married and he's got a kid. And Denise, they live in they they both they all live in Florida. Denise sees him all the time. Denise uh, says Jennifer is in a terrible way. I mean, all these years later, um, after the surgery she's had, the wrist problems, the the drug problems, the you know the, the arrest problems, she's in deep depression. Um, and she misses her dad who died just a couple of years ago. I mean, this is a, that's a, that's a rough one. Um, I think there are different, different players burn out for different reasons. Um, Jennifer, and I know that there are players like Chris Everett who had, and Monica Sellis both tried very hard to, to speak with Jennifer, to get her, you know, back in the loop, back in, back in good in a good headspace, and it just did not take, and they tried hard. And I also remember that when Jennifer got uh, nominated, when, when she got in, she was to be inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame, she, and she deserved to be in there, in my opinion, on a couple of majors, three of them, um, she didn't say yes right away because she wasn't sure she was going to be up to it. I mean, it was months away. She had found out, I think, in January the ceremony was going to be after after Wimbledon. I mean, so there are some people like uh, that. Are, that's a tragedy, any way you look at it. That kid was terrific, um, and she came around just as Chris Everett retired. She was going to be the next great phenom, coached by Chrissy's father. You know, uh, from Florida, just like Chrissy, big ground game, just like Chrissy, bigger ground game than Chris's. Um, but it, she turned out not to be Chris Everett at all. Um, so there are different. It's hard to watch phenoms burn out um, and and have troubles. But what you come to know, and I don't think this will happen with Coco Goff to answer the question. A lot of times, the only mature part of a phenom's game is their tennis, and because girls can compete with women physically in a way that boys cannot compete with men, we see them at a much younger age. We see what they can do. Um, but someone like Coco, she seems to have a very good squad around her, a really good ball club. Her parents seem to get it. Um, and the kid seems bright. The kid seems, I like how she plays. I like how she recovers from getting her serve busted. You know, she, she's got, I love how she manages the court. I'm, I'm expecting that, that Coco will have a long career. Not like some of the, not like some of the other tragic stories we've heard. I believe in her. Do you, do you all three believe in her? Yeah, I do. I yeah. mean, um, w- w- with caution, I do. I I do. I have felt uncomfortable at moments with the the nature of some of the the hysteria um, yes. at times. But for me, that's something entirely separate to how much I actually believe in in her and her game. I think I properly sat and watched her in Australia in a way that I hadn't yeah. in at the, at the US or at Wimbledon because that had been more of a kind of experiential Coco Goff thing rather than I felt like the Australian Open was the first time I, I really watched her tennis and just her, her tennis. Um, and how was her tennis? I was very, very taken with it. Yes. A- and I felt like I could watch her learning throughout the course of a match. Yes. Learning and ad- and adapting, which is a very um, good sign. I feel like I'm, I don't know why I'm I'm espousing my theories to you, Mary, but I, I feel no, like I, the, I the ability to, to adapt and 
and learn is is the chip that's missing in a lot of people with a lot of other gifts um and she seems to have it and yeah. and she has rule number she has Mary Carillo's first rule which is hold serve, uh, hold serve. so yes. i mean you can't that's huge. you can't watch coco goff play and not be completely swept up by her serve i mean it's such a yeah. weapon that has she just turned 16? I think she has, hasn't she? Yeah, um, March. Yeah, it's March. Birthday, yeah. yeah, and I agree with Catherine. I remember Australia, because there was, I mean, there was hype in Australia, of course there was, but it wasn't hysteria or mania like it was at Wimbledon in the US. So you could actually you could actually just sit and watch her as a tennis player rather than, yes. rather than comparing what you're seeing, which is a gifted 15-year-old to what you're hearing, which is, this is going to be the greatest player of all time. Those those two things didn't really match up at Wimbledon yes. in the US. But in Australia, you were just able to appreciate her for what she was. And I mean, she pushed the eventual champion. You know, she her tennis is is clearly already very, very good. Um, she um, she reminds me a little bit, and not that style, not stylistically, but when Martina Hingis was playing Wimbledon, she won the doubles with Jana Novotna when she was just 15, won the singles the next year. I was about to cover her match, and I saw my man, Nick Boletari. You know, he was heading to the court. And I said, so, Nick, what do you think about Martina, the, the new Martina? And good old Nick said it. This is, this is Nick at some of his finest. First of all, he, he called her Martina Hingis for some reason. <laughs> Let me tell you something. About Hinkis, dear. <laughs> She's got the eye of the tiger and the nose of the elephant. <laughs> what is that? How many, now, how many that? players can you what say that, that about? What does that mean? Who the hell knows? <laughs> but, I mean, it, it seemed right in the moment. And I have a feeling, I, I feel strongly, David, that I can say... I haven't heard Nick Politeri say it about her, but I think Coco Goff may have the eye of the tiger and the nose of the elephant too. <laughs> that, you know she's going to have that printed on T-shirts at the next slam, whenever that might be. Uh, yeah, um, it could be. Call me Coco, I, brackets, eye of the tiger, nose of the element, elephant. Got, got to say, I, I like her comportment. The, the, yes. I, I'm always... I am naturally cautious of, of of anybody that young playing with that amount of attention but she just yeah. seems to love it and i i hope that continues I, one of the reasons i'm cautious is because i i'm i am old enough to remember the early interviews with jennifer capriati after matches mm. where she seemed like she absolutely loved it she seemed a fun loving right. kid to me and then it changed and and you just don't know do you well, but David, again, I think there are so many, so many people, agents, parents, whatever, uh, have been able to witness all of these other players fall through every pothole. I mean, Jennifer Capriati turned pro a few weeks before her 14th birthday, signed an oil of Olay contract. That's a makeup, a, a line, a, you know, a skin care line. And I mean, she was going through puberty. I mean, she's, you know, the next year she felt all the stress of, the fame of her contracts. She was supporting her family. Uh, her skin broke out. So the oil overlay people, I mean, you know, they're like, well, what did you think was going to happen? The kid's 14, you know? I, I just don't see uh, the golf 
ball club making those kind of mistakes. There have been too many obvious and, – and again, I think Coco's just built for it. I think, I think she's – I think she's got a very good sense of it. To, to Catherine's point, it seems like you can watch her getting more comfortable, more understanding, uh, more confident, uh, smarter during the course of a match. You know, she'll play she'll play a second set much better than she played a first set. That kind of stuff. Mm. That's yeah. nice to see. Well, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. We don't know about the nose yet of the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> she clearly has the eye of the tiger. You know, I, we got to we got to watch for this. I found that quite. Um, <laughs> I quite don't know moving. what I'm watching for. <laughs> I found that quite moving to hear about um, Capriati because mm. when we over the last, in fact, the last year, I've had her on a list of just people I would love to to interview on this show one day. I don't know her at all. I've not come across her. Uh, apart from in passing, maybe done one interview about 15 years ago with her. But, you know, I always wondered, I wonder what she's doing now. I, I know one of my colleagues tried to track her down in, in, and, and see if he could get an interview and he, he didn't get anywhere close. And he, and he tried struggling. really hard. And, yeah. and I mean, look, you know, it's, it sounds very much as though that, that just isn't something that will, will, will likely happen. But I, I do really wish her, her well because yeah. it's it, it just I think people don't sometimes realize do they when they're watching these people on the screen that that they're real people at times. Yeah. It was Jennifer Capriati that that uh, got me into tennis. I used Did she? to uh, yeah ask my mum to put my hair into two plaits, just like Jennifer Capriati. Yeah. Blimey! Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Matt, it was uh, it was Rafael Nadal for you, wasn't it? You had the clothes. Yes, oh, in fact, that, I, in you f- have thrown him right under the bus there. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, well, I, was, I had the Agassi uh, clothes. I was sorting out my bookshelf today, you know, as you do when you're in self isolation, <laughs> and I found a picture of my first ever trip to Wimbledon with my grandma, and I was wearing um, three quarter length trousers. Um, after after Nadal, thankfully not a sleeveless sleeveless shirt with no guns, um, <laughs> but yeah, pirate trousers. My uh, really? my dad played a veterans squash match a a few years ago, probably about ten years ago now. Whenever the pirate trousers were a thing, um, and uh, his opponent showed up. Emphasis on veterans here. His opponent showed up wearing the full. The full deal, including the sleeveless uh, tank top. Awesome. Yeah. I'm not, not sure everyone can really pull that off. By the way, uh, when Adidas came out with the, the famous Agassi denim shorts, remember you remember those, right? Uh, Nike, yeah. Back in the, the Nike, the, I'm sorry, the Nike 80s, shorts. Yeah, yeah the, the famous Nike shorts were supposed to go to John McEnroe. Really? Uh, they were made for John, and he tried them, and he, he thought it was maybe <laughs> – yeah, he thought maybe the denim was dorky and it kind of sweated and all that. So they said, all right, let's give it to this, this other kid. Let's give it to this young kid, Agassi. Wow. How, uh, how how's, dif- that, how's that for a Nike story? How different could history be if Stan had said the same about the French Open shorts? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about Stan Smith's Adidas shoe. <laughs> no, you were going with Paprinka. Yeah. And and in his fifties, John McEnroe was playing Champions events wearing the Nadal three quarter trousers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that yeah. was unfortunate. It yeah. was a, uh, <laughs> that, we'll, we'll give him credit and say that was an aberration. Yeah, there you go. 
Yeah, well, don't worry, Matt. I I actually tried to dress up like Andre Agassi circa 1992 with the hair. Could you imagine somebody (laughs) less suited? Hang on, that was the same time you were trying to do Hugh Grant hair. You told me they weren't that dissimilar, to be quite honest, at that that particular point. Um, So, yeah, all your hair inferences are the same. It's all the same look, just different. And today, I'm yeah, (laughs) just just grow it. And then I'm, I'm this person today. Product, use some product, and there yeah. you go. And right. almost 30 years later, hair is an issue again, David. Is it? Well, you said on WhatsApp you were going to be cutting your own hair in the next in the next oh, week yeah. or so. Yeah, well, it just suddenly occurred to me, self-isolation, I've really got no choice. We're going to actually... find out what everyone's real hair colour is. That's what my mum said to me the other day. And, and, and... today. And, my my uh, hair clip has arrived today, Matt, uh, so I'll Matt be doing the full. Me, how many, <laughs> I am how many, so excited. How many uh, sports people are going to come back from this hiatus with uh, mysteriously more hair? <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Uh, um, indeed. We're, we're not even halfway through the questions. Uh, <laughs> All right, go ahead. Ask me another one. I'm afraid. We'll well, we I tell do. you what, what we're going to do, we're going to pause right there at the end of this part one of the, of the tennis podcast. And um, Wait, what have I signed up for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, How many parts are there? <laughs> there's two parts, two parts. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll rattle through the rest. This is how David gets you, Mary. Yeah. Oh, boy, oh, boy. This is every day of self-isolation for us. <laughs> yeah, they, they have this on a daily basis, Mary. I've got another idea oh. next week. Um, um, okay. so, yeah, so we'll be back with another tennis podcast next week. Thanks for listening to this one, and we'll speak to you soon. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 